part of our new making chips is that we're actually shortening up the banter. We've yeah. gotten some good feedback that they like the banter, but maybe if we could speed that up a little bit. So I'm so an that's expert in keeping it short, man. Yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's our new joke for 2023, that Nick is short. Jim, did you know that ThomasNet has marketing services like SEO and video? Jason, I know now. I should talk to them about my next marketing project. Tell me more about what they offer. Yes, you should. The ThomasNet team includes digital marketers and degreed engineers who understand the complexities of manufacturing. They know the keywords that buyers are searching for. Well, that certainly resonates with me because I need people who know and understand our industry language and can connect the dots with authenticity. So visit thomasnet.com today to view their industrial digital marketing services and learn more about the marketing solutions that have helped thousands of manufacturers and industrial companies grow. Who let the dogs out? Ooh, 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 ooh. That was very late, Nick. <laughs> that was right, not really good. I was like... <laughs> if the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metal Working Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, Production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts. Let's make some chips. Welcome to Making Chips. My name is Jason Zenger, and I will be your host today. I am joined by my co-host, episode 341. How you doing, Nick Golner? Very good, man. Yeah, good. good. Yeah. It's good to be here. And we have a special guest here today, which I'm excited for as well. Me too. Do you have a dog? Okay, this is horrible. I kind of gave my dog away to my brother. Yeah, that's I started bad. to get more allergic to this loved animal, and mm-hmm. then I stopped loving it as much. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have a dog either, mostly because I have a bunch of kids, and I got enough things to take care of. I got enough butts to wipe, because I actually Well, still... you don't have to wipe your dog's butts, believe it or not. Oh, well, you have to pick up the poop, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just poop. Bad, I don't know but... anyone who wipes yeah. their dog's butt. <laughs> but my four-year-old still, when he's on the potty, he goes, Daddy, I'm done! Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, I have to yeah. go back in the bathroom. Dad, across the hall. Yeah, I mean, my <laughs> four-year-old, the exact same thing. It's, he can't do it himself. I'm like, so. are you kidding me, man? Figure it out. Exactly. But so I still have to do that. So no my dog. My seven-year-old wants a dog more than anything, and Santa is not going to be bringing her a dog. So I got to figure that out. Ooh, you are really going to disappoint your daughter. <laughs> yeah. I can't even believe that is yeah. mean. Yeah. That is yeah. bad. So today we're going to be talking about, we have a manufacturing leader who is no stranger to making chips, and we're going to be talking about the community service that he did. And cool. a lot of it's centered on dogs, but that's not everything that we're going to be talking about today. But it's going to be a great episode that I'm excited about. Cool. So what do you think? How's things been? This is our first episode without Jim. I think it's going Um, great. I'm happy. I've checked into therapy. They're helping me heal. No, everything's great, man. We're really excited about the future direction of making chips and... Yeah, that's things full speed ahead, man. Yeah, sounds good. All right, so part of our new making chips is that we're actually shortening up the banter. We've yeah. gotten some good feedback that they like the banter, but maybe if we could speed that up a little bit. So I'm so an that's expert in keeping it short, man. Yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's our new joke for 2023, that Nick is short. So for our manufacturing news, I brought up this great article. It was from the Harvard Business Review. And the title of the article is How Smaller Companies Can Bring Manufacturing Close to Home. And of course, this is a article about 
supply chain and the pandemic and all this other kind of stuff. But I'm just going to read a little bit about this. And I'm also going to talk about it a YouTube video that I watched just recently. It's not that YouTube video that we watched earlier. That's a different one. That was a great one, though. But it's funny because like the news we did on the last episode said one of the themes of 2023 was bringing more regional and local partnerships. So yeah, so I'm going to read this. This is a quote from the Harvard Business Review. Global pandemics, trade wars, and geopolitical conflicts pose challenges to the manufacturing industry. And keep in mind when Harvard Business Review talks about manufacturing, they're not just talking about like making chips. They're talking about like textile manufacturing, a lot of different things. A recent survey among manufacturing executives revealed that 44 percent of respondents consider supply chain risks among their three top concerns. Yeah. In response, manufacturing companies plan to regionalize parts of their production with a view to increasing their resilience to external shocks. 43% of respondents already have specific relocation plans. European retail chain CNA, for example, intends to produce 800,000 genes per year in a German factory. Those are going to be some expensive yeah. genes. And Walmart has committed to spending an additional $350 billion through 2023 on items made, grown, or assembled in the United States. I mean, German genes. Yeah, I'm not shocked. I believe that this is... I mean, this is automation. Why we're not going to feel the recession as much as maybe some other industries, because yeah. yeah. this push to localize where things are made. Yeah, I actually have Japanese genes, and I wouldn't have thought that I would have bought genes really? that were made in Japan. Yeah, they're... You have Japanese Jap- genes? You don't look Japanese at all. <laughs> That's just where they're made, buddy. Things would be oh, made anywhere. Jeans, yeah. jeans, those oh, jeans. Oh, <laughs> those kind of jeans. Okay, no, my kids have Thai jeans. My That's right. wife yeah. is Thai, not Japanese. So yeah, that's a good one though, Nick. <laughs> Very nice. So this is true. So like manufacturing is being nearshored, is being regionalized. One of the things that I talked about before was that you're going to have your North American manufacturing, your South American manufacturing, your Asian manufacturing, European, and so on. But I did watch a YouTube video. I forgot who it was from, but it basically talked about from a supply chain perspective, why the United States doesn't manufacture cell phones. And a lot of it is just purely based on the fact that starting from when it was an issue of low-cost labor, which is not as much of an issue anymore because of automation, A, and then B, because wages have really normalized between the United States and some of the lower-wage countries like China. But so much infrastructure is over in China where, say, like Foxconn and a lot of these other places are at, that just to bring that manufacturing to the United States would be just... It would take so long. It would cost so much money that it's just, it's not feasible. So, what they're doing is they're breaking apart a lot of these manufacturing processes, putting them in different countries and having them assembled in some of the near short countries. So, kind of interesting from that standpoint. Yeah, I wonder how much of it is tied to like the semiconductor. We've seen all this government support for semiconductor investment. And I wonder if that's the infrastructure that it takes so that we can start making our own electronics and cell phones and things like that here. Well, I mean, it's tied in so much that we need to be careful about outsourcing everything on a product to another country. I mean, like take, for instance, food. One of the reasons why we are so secure as a country is because we can grow our own food. Like we could sustain Mm -hmm. ourselves. I mean, there's certain foods that we don't get in the United States, but it's not going to preclude us from being able to continue living. You know what I mean? We can continue eating the foods that we produce here. There's a lot of countries that have to, for a lot of their staples, they have to import it. And so we need to make sure that we are always a manufacturing country. Right on, man. So can we get into the 
main part of the episode. Absolutely. Okay. Are you going to introduce our guest? I'm going to. So I don't even need to write down his introduction. We have on the microphone today, Mike Payne, the president of Hill Manufacturing and Fabrication. Mike is not only the president of Hill, but he's also just a prolific investor and entrepreneur. He's kind of been there, done that, and now he's here in the manufacturing industry like with us, and we're happy to have him. It's Welcome not the first to show, time, Mike. Right? Yeah, and it's not the first time. Uh, thank you both. Yeah, Glad great to, be to have here. you. This Thanks so for flying so in been to see on, us. You were live IMTS. Yep. And live at IMTS. We recorded at I Hill. I did record it at Hill. Yeah, yeah. So this was an episode where I did an interview with Mike. I brought the interview back. This was like Jason out on the streets. I brought the interview back, and then we put commentary around it. With did it like in a storage closet, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I remember that. For, so it'd be quiet. Did we talk about investments, investing in the menu? We talked about buying M&A. and selling shops. Oh, M&A, yeah. Right. I think we should revisit that, too. That'd be great. Maybe get more in the weeds on that. But I think as... There's a generation of manufacturing leaders who own shops and are ready to retire that need to sell their business. And there's also a younger generation that wants to buy. We should get more in the weeds because you have a lot of probably, I mean, I know you want to make your own acquisitions, but I mean, you can't make every one of them. So maybe there's something that you could teach the metalworking nation. Sure. It would be timely since then. When we did that conversation, I believe it was in 2019. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you the M&A market, as far as the type in this industry, changed dramatically after really? COVID. Okay. Really? Just people's goals and... Give us a little preview of what we're going to talk about. Well, they're just... We talk a lot about recessions. We talk about the cycles that we all go through as manufacturers. There's a generation of shop owners that they came out of COVID or didn't and said, okay, I'm done. Right? That was my last was roller coaster. Yeah. And which creates opportunities for buyers and investors. and But also, I mean, it's a preview, so we don't need to go into it, but it's an opportunity for both. So it right. reminds me of like a great UFC fight where it's the championship rounds and you know it's like, yeah, that round ended and the guy didn't get knocked out, but this is over. It's over. He's out. He's right. out of gas. Yeah. So some of these guys, COVID was that for them. Right. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's get into it. So Mike, tell us the story of Hill Manufacturing and your team fostering dogs. Like where and why did you come up with that? Right. I mean, like I remember when you told me about it and I was like, really? I was like, that's cool. But like, why? Actually, I think when I told you about it, you said, do you think people are going to like that? Yeah, I did. I probably did. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It's good to circle back on it a year and a half later. As we were doing strategic planning a couple of years ago, one of our values is we wanted to be involved in the community. and Like a core value? Yeah. Oh, great. We identified some things we already do. And in some ways, they could be seen as, I mean, they're not self-serving, but they were certainly working with high school students that are interested in manufacturing and interning them, working with some of the manufacturing associations. A lot of what we were doing that was community-related had more to do with maybe as much networking as it was giving back to the Kinda community. Like building your there was like a direct benefit sure, to Hill. Sure, yeah. sure. Or even indirect, but yeah. we we're staying in our lane, right? Yeah, like we're right. in our manufacturing lane. Sure. So I really wanted to do something that was just more giving, just mm-hmm. more community support. And there's a million options, right? We could raise money for different events. We can write checks. We can do all sorts of things. But I really wanted to do something that would involve our team, not just, hey, Mike wants to help this organization. So we write them a check every year or do a toy drive, which is all good stuff too. It's all great stuff. And that's always the direction that I've gone and I probably need to kind of rethink. And it's good to do that. You know what I mean? It's all good. I'm not knocking any community involvement anybody wants to do. I just, for me, I wanted to find something that was a more hands-on for my team of 40 people or whatever. There's a difference between just like giving a little bit of time or giving money and then actually like contributing to something where everybody's participating. Right. And so my family... My wife especially spends a lot of time with the dog rescues and so forth. And I thought, we've got an environment that we could probably do that. And reached out to one of the local rescues 
and said, hey, as we'd like to foster as a company rather than yeah. individual fostering. So year and a half later. First of all, was that odd to them? Were you the first company that asked to be a foster as opposed to a person? We were. Oh, really? So yeah. they were like, were that first like, well, when you think They about actually that. were really open. I thought they would not be, but they were very excited about it and appreciated the support, yeah. of course. Yeah, they're like, well, a company can't foster a child, but probably could foster right. a dog. <laughs> right. Yeah. So they said, well, let's just try one. Yeah. And that was in maybe June of 21 and as of now in December of 22. We just yesterday had our 19th dog adopted. That's awesome. We've had him as short as a week. We've had him as long as three months. There's been a few so times we've had dog, two. What was the breed? So the group we work with, it's called Helpless Hounds. And I see you got Hills Hounds got on Hills your Hills Hounds on so my So you've kind of right. like branded sure. your community service. That is sure. so yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. So the group we work with are Helpless Hounds. They only work with hound dogs, right? So you got coon hounds, beagles, yeah. basset hounds, blood hounds, so our, forth. Are hounds always the ones with the floppy ears? Basically, floppy big yeah. Ears? yeah. Typically, yeah. 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 Really good noses. Yeah. Right. So sounds like the way I describe Nick sometimes. <laughs> Some of them are short. Yeah, yeah exactly. There you go, Mike. Yeah, Mike's picked up on it. So since Jim's gone, short is the new old. And I'm going to be the butt of all of Jason's jokes. I love it. Yeah, so he's a hound dog. It was a mixed hound dog. Sure. His name was Bobby. I left town the Friday he left and was driving to Colorado with my family for vacation. And like already missing the dog oh that's, oh, yeah. that's right a that's week cute. and you're going yeah man i hope he went to a good home right yeah when you tell people about fostering dogs last time they go i couldn't do it i'd fall in love yeah. and you do fall yeah, in love you, do. you really do yeah but when you see them get adopted and go to a family and they have a yard and they have kids yeah. to play with i mean yeah. you're like this so is rewarding awesome. yeah yeah sleeping on has a any yeah. employee play with hill kids and- ever been the adopter so we've had two employees i believe adopt a dog we've had two or three clients adopt a dog oh wow that's great and one vendor. Wow. That's so cool. That's funny. So, so Jason. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I can't have dogs, oh, though. <laughs> don't you have a daughter that would like one for Christmas? Oh, yeah, there you yeah. go. <laughs> you can't do and that. And as a matter of fact, it. Mike has a crate. He brought it with for <laughs> you and your daughter, <laughs> Nick. <laughs> Thank God. She's not listening right now because I would have to go home and deal with it. But So all very cool. I definitely understand the idea of participating, contributing, not just giving money or doing like a lunch or whatever, but what kind of like other benefits have you experienced? Is there anything that like actually strengthens your company? Absolutely. So I didn't plan on those consequences. I've developed relationships with people that maybe have worked for me ever since we bought Hill that we just didn't have a connection, right? So and you start petting the dog together. Right. And start talking. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they have a love for the dog. So they're coming up and they're walking the dog on their breaks. Yeah. So then we're talking more. And I would guess that somewhere between a third and a half our folks on any given day are actually pretty actively involved with helping with the dog. That's cool. Right. So that's real cool. So that third to the half are interacting with each other too. Right. So that's been great. And some people are more introverted with other people, but they can really connect with an animal. Sure. Gosh, there's how many studies could you go find on what's the benefits of having a dog in a workplace, right? The stress level. I cannot tell you how many times I've been upset, like ready to just slam my door or whatever. Right. And here comes the dog. Right. Like just wants to just wants you to rub his ear. Yeah. And you just feel better. <laughs> I mean, there's a couple things that just instantly make you happy. Laughing is one, and we're going to talk about that in a future episode, and dogs. Right. Or a pet. Sure. In general. Or a, maybe not a, a fish, baby but... laughing is like, oh, sure. if you don't smile at a baby laughing, you got something wrong with you. So do you believe that it's been good for the culture of the company? I mean, one of the things that we talk about a lot of making chips that the difference between the companies that are going to attract the best people for their team and the companies that are going to struggle and probably struggle production-wise are the cultures. Has this helped your culture? It started as part of our culture, right? And I would say it absolutely has enhanced it. 
If anybody doesn't like what we're doing that works there, they certainly haven't communicated it. I would encourage them to, but everybody is happy when that dog comes walking through the shop, right? Some of them don't care and the dog just passes them. I've got probably seven or eight machinists that keep dog bones in their toolbox now, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So the dog, you let him out in the shop and her and... He knows what toolboxes to go to. That's great. Right? Well, they got room because the tools have gone into the vending machine. That's so right. now they got room for the dog. So, bone. all right, let's do a little devil's advocate. So, when you're fostering, you have no idea the personality of the dog, right? So, it's like biting people's ankles as walking by. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> I travel a lot and I see a lot of shops, and some of them have dogs, and they're always extremely well behaved. They're just kind of like quiet. And it's like, yeah, that's really positive. But I've also seen some kind of like wild pets yeah. that just have no sort of discipline or anything. So, have you ever had that situation where your foster dog's like, barking the whole time you're talking about the breeds some of those breeds yeah, can, be really can be really noisy yeah yeah there's two dogs out of 19 one was had become incredibly attached to me so if he was not right by me he would yell and scream which means if i leave the shop he'd howl until i came back oh could be gosh. hours yeah, yeah. right <laughs> if i went out in the shop without him he'd stand at the shop door howling oh so that's like nick does that when i leave sometimes <laughs> too <laughs> When Jim left, I just stood outside car. (laughs) (laughs) And then we did have one that came in like super docile and sweet and very loving dog that over at about three weeks, which is three day, three week, three month thing. That's something that rescues talk about. That's how long dogs take to transition. Um, Well, around that three weeks had decided this was their home, but became very protective of about four of us and everybody else needed to stay away. (laughs) So that dog lasted about another three days. It made its little family. That was it. And so, I mean, that one, we just clearly, that was not a good foster home for that dog, right? He needed a more actual family. All the others have been just goofy as can be. The biggest part of our job is to just bring them in feed them, keep them healthy, love on them, and socialize them, right? So they get extensive socialization in our shop versus what they would if they were in a home because they not only do they have to deal with the 40 or 50 people there, they got to deal with vendors and customers and everybody else. So part of that, we just got to train them. And that's part of our job. It doesn't take long, right? I mean, this is, if I spend 10 minutes a day extra because of the dog, I'm probably exaggerating, right? Especially when you have 15 people willing to help. Yeah, absolutely. So let's kind of change subjects slightly to more talk about community service as opposed to dog fostering. I know you've kind of made yourself in like the Tulsa manufacturing community. Do you know other Tulsa manufacturers who are also doing community service, maybe not dog fostering, but in other ways where they're getting involved in their community? Locally, yeah. I guess I'd probably say most of the relationships I have with other shops, as you talk to them, they all have that issue that's important to them. I know people that there's a group in Tulsa, it's, I can't remember the exact name of it, but they go down on Thursday nights and feed homeless, right? I know shops are involved in things like that. A lot of shops are involved, very involved in a lot of the industry groups around and the youth. I think I'm aware of a lot of different options. Some people are very involved, maybe directly in their church or and. I think all businesses, whether you're a machine shop or a CPA firm, by doing some of these things, you're kind of defining that it's important to us that we give back. When I worked at a CPA firm for five years, we had hours we were expected to contribute to the community on an annual basis, right? I don't remember the number. It was actually like defined. Oh, yeah. yeah wow. Like as a part of being a CPA. As part of being working there. Whether yeah. you're oh, okay. A CPA at or the not. company. Yeah. Okay. Got 5, it. 5,000 employees around the country and everybody was supposed to put in. 50 hours a year. I think that's really cool. I didn't realize that that's something you could mandate as a company is is volunteer hours. 
it wasn't mandated, but okay. it was an expectation. Oh, got right? a standard. Okay. And that definition was broad. If you coach your kid's soccer team, you're giving back to the community. Okay, sure. right. Right? Yeah. If you foster dogs, you're giving back. I mean, the definition is wide open. Yeah. You're just trying to do good. Yeah. And when you're promoting that doing good, it makes you become more of a whole person. You talked about previously, and we're not going to get into the details, but a challenge that you had with somebody on your team had some personal problems. And a lot of times, not all the time, I mean, there's a place for a lot of other ways to solve that, but like a lot of times you can solve some of those problems by just getting outside of yourself and helping other people. Absolutely. And for a company to promote that as a means of keeping your people healthy and whole is a great thing. It's like anything. I mean, you practice being altruistic and that culture starts to permeate how you interact with each other. So, And I've actually noticed, I've had guys bring me other ideas of how they feel we could be involved in the community since we started doing the dogs, right? So they understand now it is part of our culture. It's important to us as owners and as a company that we want to do more in the community than just make money. I like the, it's not like, okay, here's what our company does. Do you want to participate or not? But you actually encourage them to bring the ideas too. We've had a couple employees who like needed to take time off for like a missions trip or things like that. And we don't make them take vacation or we give them like real, real flexibility because it's like, Hey, we love what you're doing. So that's awesome. So our mission is in business, one of the things that you're trying to do is make a profit. You're trying to drive some like business objectives, but how do you balance those objectives with being a good corporate citizen? So like it's going to take time to do the things that you're doing. So there's a lot of people that would look at it and be like, that's a distraction. What, what would you say to that person that's like, okay, well, you need to focus on machining parts. I mean, everybody's going to be their own on that. I've grown up with friends and mentors and other business owners throughout my career that giving back was very, very important to us. It's no different than what you just asked about, like an employee that's struggling and you want to help them, right? And we've all done that. There's somebody that for whatever reason, they have some issue they're going through that I joke sometimes my day job, I say I own a machine shop, but I can be a marriage counselor today. I can be a financial advisor. I can be a lot of things that had nothing to do with running a machine shop, mm -hmm. right? We do that for our employees. We do that for our friends. We do that for our family. By extension, I think as business owners, we do have a responsibility to do it for our community too. Absolutely, yeah. Right? Not that we can do it all, but we can pick the areas that are important to us and hopefully leave our communities better than when we showed up there. I think that's something that attracts people to come and work at your company is that you see beyond just the bottom line. I hope so. You got to make sure you love people and love your community and that shows. So that's Absolutely. great. Well, thank you, Mike. We appreciate your feedback and your story as it relates to this. And sometimes it's not all about making chips. Nope. Here's what I will say. We don't charge for making chips. We want our community to give back to us in one way. Just share the episodes, like, review, whatever you can for that. That's how you can give back a little bit for what we do to create this content and hopefully share stories like Mike that inspire you to make your business, make the world a better place. Yeah. I mean, making chips, we talked about like a service. I mean, making chips, that's how it started. It was a service to the industry. Yeah. It was like our way of giving back. And that's what we do. And like you said, Nick, like if there's a currency for this, share this episode with somebody else if you think that they would benefit from Absolutely. us. Or share it with your boss and share it with an idea. Hey, I think we could do this thing. It's dear to my heart. It would impact our community. You might be surprised your boss might go for it. Yeah, absolutely. But when you're done with that, you got to get back to making chips because you know what they say, Mike? If you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Thanks for listening to the Making Chips podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. 
so, Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. Your manufacturing challenges have a solution, and many of them are at makingchips.com.